0: For February 28th, 2011, it's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 139, Likely to Poop in the Future. Welcome to the Overthinking It Podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. It's Oscar night! Woohoo! at the <laughs> legendary intersection of two streets, which is what Hollywood and Highland is. It's not like a magical place. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> H- Highland is a north-south running thoroughfare, and Hollywood Boulevard is an east-west running thoroughfare. And those streets intersect, and at that intersection is a place. And that place is the Kodak Theater, uh, Uh, And it's in a large complex of other movie-related things, including Groman's Chinese Theater, and the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and the thing with all the handprints, and Mm -hmm. the bad impersonators of Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean, and (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man.
1: And Matt, you said it wasn't a magical place. (laughs) Sounds magical to me. The magic of Hollywood. Oh! If you want to see people dressed up like superheroes, there is no better place on Earth. That's very true.
0: Uh, maybe Comic-Con. But yeah. uh, second to Comic-Con, there's no better. Well, maybe Dragon-Con. Well, second yeah. to Comic-Con and Dragon-Con. Well, well, Comic-Con well, New well, York. Well, well, well.
2: I'm not sure about that. What if you were to go to the set of an actual superhero movie and like see people dressed up like Robert Downey Jr. actually dressed up as Iron Man? That would be pretty awesome.
0: Well, it well a- on, on any given Tuesday,
2: <laughs> there's no better place on Earth. <laughs>
0: That's true. Though I think as the award show made clear tonight, Robert Downey Jr. doesn't dress as Iron Man. It's all done with visual effects. But anyway, I'm your host, Matthew Rather. I'm here with the panel of overthinkers to overthink the Oscars, the Academy (laughs) Awards, Hollywood's most glamorous night all night. (laughs) That's right. And we've been drinking, so it's going to (laughs) be...
2: Yep, yep. Me and my couple guests, we downed two bottles of wine while os- watching the Oscars and uh, ate half a box of Russell Stover's chocolates. So if you hear me slurring my speech or chewing a little, it's due to the uh, the wonderful uh, culinary enjoyment we had for tonight's party. You to
0: still rip the fillings right out of your teeth. Really?
2: Oh, crud. I got to be yeah. careful. Oh, me, no.
0: Uh, me and my Oscar party, which consisted of my laptop, uh, also drank two bottles of wine. So...
2: <laughs> You should not pour wine on your laptop. It is not good. Do, do Macs do well with wine on them? PCs really don't. Uh, but I'm a PC guy, so I'm kind of nerdy. Maybe Macs are more like – they like to party, so they like to have wine poured on their keyboards or something.
1: Macs are fun with wine, but beer is a little too déclasse.
2: Well, yeah, exactly. Macs are a little bit too fancy about what they want poured all over them. <laughs> yeah. So. All right.
0: So do- – um-
2: Everybody, do what we tell you. Pour wine in your Macintosh computer. Absolutely. Do it right
1: now. The over- <laughs> is not responsible for any damage to your Macintosh.
0: <laughs> awesome. So uh, alright, here's the here's the panel. You've heard them already. We are the what is it, the Triangle of Man Love? The Triumvirate
2: yeah. of Man Love. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: But, Who was in the Triangle of Man Love? Do you remember? Like, it was like Tom Hooper, Colin Firth, and the writer or something like really?
2: that. Really? Like Jeffrey Rush didn't even get you to be know, in the truck.
0: Colin Firth and <laughs> like, <know>. I, <laughs> and the director, <laughs> but, but,
2: but specifically not Helena Bonham Carter. No, would, I had my I had my desktop set up with my uh, tweet deck in a different room than when I was watching the Oscars. So I was like getting up and running to my computer to live tweet and running back, and I missed who was in the Triangle of Man Love, and I felt so terrible. It's like, oh, that was so wonderful. Oh, if only I knew who was in the if if he had been a little bit more. Appropriately grave about accepting The best director Oscar Then I would have known who was in his man love triangle But sadly I did not find out So I apologize
0: for that Well the only it- man love triangle that matters Is here tonight <laughs> on uh, on The Overthinking It podcast Or Monday morning if you are listening to this uh, Actually on The internet So uh, favorite Oscar moment is the question of the week uh, Let's start in alphabetical order with Peter Fentel <laughs> oh. Alright so
2: I had a second place. I actually tweeted about what I thought the best uh, the best Oscar moment was, but I stopped after like the f- the first like half an hour of the Oscars because it happened. Uh, my second best, I'm gonna say, because I don't think anybody else is gonna say it, was during the pre show interviews when they were like Hugh Jackman, and Hugh Jackman like slid in on the rail, like the the ledge, like into frame. Like he did sort of like a sort of like a funky kind of like a artful Dodger esque like slide into frame that I thought was really awesome, and I was like that's the best oscar moment i've seen i had very low expectations for the oscars so i was like that's going to be the best oscar moment let's see if they top it but my favorite oscar moment this time around was probably the line uh you are much more beautiful than you were in the movie (laughs) which was when uh and i'm sure i I feel like i feel like it's rude for me to go first because i can't imagine that there was a better oscar moment than kirk douglas Being on the Oscars, uh, announcing the award for Best Supporting
0: Actress. You know? Yes? No, that was what he did, right?
2: (laughs) Look, you're laughing. You Australians Australians always think they're funny. Look at this guy, points to Colin Firth, who's going to win the Oscar for Best Actor, and everybody in the room knows it. He's not laughing because he's British. It was, just, it was just so wonderful. He was just such a wonderful font of awesome in that moment in the Oscars. And they brought, it's clear that the Oscar people wanted him to have like a Jack Palance moment, right? Because, you know, when Jack Palance came on stage and did his one arm push ups, because he's like, oh, I'm old, but I'm still strong. Because Hollywood has to live under this illusion that like you can achieve youth at any age, right? Because if you can't achieve youth, you can't sell. So if, if you're an older actor or actress, then you have to use technology and discipline and self determination and all these other things. Uh, that I'm misapplying the terms for to be young and become young and re-become young. And that's like why Jack Palance at the Oscars is such a wonderful moment because he's such a badass mamma jamma and he's also so strong. And they had that thing where Kirk Douglas was supposed to do the thing with the hands on the cane, but really Kirk Douglas went out there and he was an old man. Like despite their attempts to make the Oscars younger and hipper, despite their attempts to bring on these like, you know, funky new people and have Justin Justin Timberlake like use his ass to like change the background animation or whatever the f that was like they had kirk douglas come out there and be a dirty old man a wonderful old man and it was so awesome uh, like when he was just, he was just saying what he was thinking right maybe it was on the cue cards maybe it wasn't i don't care it was just amazing i mean do you guys have the same experience watching kirk that was kirk douglas right like that was spartacus on the stage Yeah, I was really waiting for everyone
1: in the audience to start saying, I am Spartacus. They were terrified of being Spartacus. Everyone in that audience
2: (laughs) is terrified of being 90.
0: Yeah, they cut cut away to Warren Beatty, and it was like, uh, is that the best old guy you can find to get a reaction?
2: (laughs) Oh, that was awful. And you know that people are just terrified. Because the people in that business, you get scared when you're 26 right like you're, you get scared when you're an actor when you're like when when you're like 19 and you haven't you know gotten an agent yet right and it's like oh i'm so terrified of not being young and you read the screenwriting manuals and they talk about how you transpose the stories of older people to the stories of younger people because the stories of younger people sell and this is has to related to with the post that i wrote about up earlier last year where it's like the stories of old people are hard to tell cuz they don't come with their own goals right like hollywood's really into the stories of younger people and here we have this unabashed unapologetic totally honest and straightforward old man who's like telling women they're beautiful like bemoaning that he can't be with Anne Hathaway like right he's like oh if you were there when I was in pictures you know what the sentence ends with it's like I would have effed you you know like, <laughs> like that's what Kirk Douglas was thinking but uh but alas and alack uh you know you know sick transit Gloria Mundy but not transit quite yet
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you Pete uh yeah. McNeil
1: uh, I'm less passionate about my favorite Oscar moment, but I think uh, – <laughs> also,
0: also
2: less intoxicated on, on Merlot and uh, – I got a wine bottle that had a crow on it because I thought it was awesome. Two anyway. Buck,
0: Two-buck jacket <laughs> no, it
2: wasn't two buck Chuck. I'm classy. It was like twelve dollars. <laughs> anyway, continue. Very nice.
1: Uh, I liked when randomly the representative of ABC and the guy who runs the MPAA came out to announce the glorious union would continue for eight more years. <laughs> uh, like it was such. It was such an eight odd more moment.
0: Years.
1: Eight yeah, it was more years. Just out of nowhere, and and I don't read the trades, so I don't know if this was something that was like really discussed a lot, and it was like big news. But I felt like the entire audience, like that was there's always like the one weird clapping moment, right? And in, in any show, there's like one thing that happens that people aren't sure whether or not they should clap, and I feel like that was this one, because it was just like out of you know this sort of celebration of of acting and Hollywood, and then. For some reason, like, the strange uh, – there was a very historical bent to this one. Um, for some mm. reason, the 83 years was, was just brought up a whole lot um, for reasons that were unclear to me. But, but this, like, moment of crass commercialism in the middle of it was, I thought, really sort of uh, just, just bizarre and made me laugh more than anything else that happened. Are you,
2: wait, you're talking about the ABC connection that they were talking
1: about? Yeah, there was one moment where like the, the chairman or something of the MPAA comes
0: out on stage not, with a, a, a woman. MPAA. it's the uh, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Well, actually,
1: thank you, <laughs> thank you, Matt. Um, and so the the Academy guy comes out with a representative of ABC who was never named, I don't think, uh, and they like patted each other on the back for having signed the deal that ABC would continue to broadcast the Oscars until twenty twenty.
2: See. And- see- yeah. Okay. Okay. I got gotcha. you. Go. Continue. Continue. No, so, so the entire audience is sort of like,
1: and I feel like all you know okay. tens of tens of millions of people at home are like, great, you know, just think, like, who do we do we care if we're watching let NBC or ABC
0: let, when the Oscars are not, on? Let me program my TiVo. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> like, I- I felt like that moment was really interesting because, first of all, it felt like a mafia movie moment. Like he's like, there was some partnership. No, he's like, there's loyalty in this world. Like there's loyalty, right? That was how it was presented, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's like snub-nosed dude is like, there is such a thing as loyalty in this world, and it is American Broadcasting Corporation, which is owned by Disney. And they're loyal to us, and we're loyal to them. Like these – I think that um, when you see the language of mafia being employed by people, I think that – that it tends to be relied upon as a life preserver in a, a place of extreme insecurity so like if you see say like gangster rappers like naming themselves as mobsters or gangsters or people who really love scarface right it's because they're because what's the purpose of organized crime right the purpose of organized crime is to fill the role of government and the role of authority in places where government and authority are not asserting themselves to the satisfaction of like a social norm that that is sort of comfortably stable right and so we're in the entertainment industry right now where the networks are losing all their, the networks are losing all of their membership all their viewers, the cable companies have given up entirely on providing a service in exchange for a market-driven fee and are like aggressively lobbying in both Canada and the United States for these sort of twisted regulations to try to force people to watch them because they don't want to, right? Nobody wants – everyone wants to use Netflix. Cable companies are in these cabals. with so The government tries to stop them. Like you know, the, the, the networks are collapsing. The cable channels are diversifying, like – The Hollywood hears the footsteps of a more global culture, and they know that the Oscars isn't going to be the main show in town forever. The the liberal Hollywood uh, political organizations know that their sort of uh, nation's zenith uh, post-Bush has sort of passed and we're entering into a political environment. There's this real sense of risk, I felt. I felt that this Oscar ceremony, and I tweeted about this, was really focused on business relationships. And if you looked at the different people talking, they were like all reaching out and creating partnerships and sort of saying, like, this person is on my team, right? And, and, I, and I think you saw then everything from the way that Annette Bening, who comes from a powerful family, was talking about kind of the old guard of the directors, right, to like Christian Bale citing the website of the boxer that he played, right, to try to get people – like, since when does a freaking uh, Oscar-winning actor care about the small business owned by the guy – who he played to the extent that he promotes him on national television. There's a Not conversion since, I mean, since, since he needed a P, since he needed a PR boost like Christian Bale. I think yeah. I don't. I don't think he did that for himself. I think what we're seeing is we're seeing like a flattening of the playing field, right? We're seeing like a Thomas Friedmanification of the Oscars, yeah, where the Oscars was, are kind mean, of scared. They're running scared.
0: What was – I mean, what was the Oscars? Was the Oscars the show? Was it the uh, backstage cam on the website? Was it the stream of live tweets that James Franco did or at least you know, mm-hmm. one of his people did on his official Twitter account? Yeah. The show of like all the you know photos of here's James Franco and Anne Hathaway backstage acting crazy, smoking pot. Or, no, is that is that, or,
2: is that what happened? Because James Franco looked really high during the know. show okay was, he looked, yeah he was terrible yeah it was awful I'm gonna go ahead and
1: throw that out like anne hathaway was pretty good but franco was really bad well,
0: i mean she was better than franco but that's kind of damning her with with faint praise i think
1: well you I, know con- context is everything
0: <laughs> i uh i want to give my favorite um my favorite uh moment which is wait your
2: turn the, yeah <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there when we get there that don't is- make Turn around! This I will get Oscar-winning actor Steve Carell to jump out of this yellow van and push it until we're moving fast enough so that you can give your answer to the question. Uh,
0: it That's was an- the, it was the PS twenty two kids at the end of the uh, oh of the show. because it was though it's though it's kind of sentimental. I mean, to the point of being a little bit mawkish. Um, uh, here's the thing about it: it was the one moment in the whole thing. I mean, with the exception maybe of Billy Crystal and Bob Hope, that actually approached entertainment. Right that didn't have the quality of a i don't know of a, a kind of forced march right and mm. like um in in other years i guess i mean i hadn't thought of it that way uh, the way that you describe it pete that the the kind of the business of uh you know of um theatrical motion pictures is kind of on the ropes and um uh, right and they're they're running scared and i i don't know what what are you saying like solidifying their base or kind of trying to um I don't know, trying to set themselves up for the next decade. Uh, but that makes, that makes perfect sense. This, this uh, show for me had the, the quality of a forced march and not the kind of expansive quality that maybe like some of the Hugh Jackman shows had uh, yeah. a, while, you know, a while ago where there was, a, there was a real exuberance and kind of a real desire to, to entertain. Um, I just didn't see it. I mean, I thought that the comedy writing was, was for poop. They had
2: comedy writers? Yeah, right. I didn't know that. I thought they basically just had Anne Hathaway, like, working really, really hard with nothing and, like, eight dresses. Like, that, that was, like, that's what I had in terms of oh, the hosting Christ. was, like, hey, let's her get Anne Her best it line was there. actually about one of her dresses. Yeah. Oh, which one was that? One where she, like,
1: just starts, like, swinging back and oh. forth so <laughs> the little tassels fly out. Like, that was yeah. the most entertaining she was.
2: Yeah, yeah, well, no, yeah.
0: They have, they have Bruce Valanche, star of Get Bruce.
2: If they had uh, had cousin Brucie, star of uh, star of the radio and local regional television commercials for, uh, I think for um, that hardware store, then I would be impressed.
0: It's uh, yeah, I mean (laughs) this is um, there. There's some heavy hitting people writing writing the show, but it seemed like the presenters were more or less totally off the cuff, and uh, the the scripted material for Anne Hathaway and Franco was terrible. And and is it just me or um, Anne Hathaway is so classy. I mean, that's the thing I like. about Oh yeah, right? and mm-hmm. uh, and she just wasn't bringing the class tonight. I think that like she was so she was so and look, I love an entertainer who can take a pie in the face, but she was so desperate to entertain or to kind of inject some kind of energy into the uh, into the proceedings that she seemed kind of manic to me and yeah. sort of lost that like classical. Uh you know um almost statuesque really poised quality that i think makes her stand out among uh among other young actresses you know her peer group
2: you see i've been there matt and i think you've seen me there like, uh, and I know the situation because, like, Franco was freaking—he was like blowing it, right? Like, like Franco was just blowing it, and uh, and, I, and I remember what it was. Just, he just—he wasn't even looking at the camera while he was talking. He's just like, whatever. And you've seen—I mean, I, when, this is something you you confront a lot in, in improv, and I don't want to insult—if there's anybody listening to the podcast who I've performed improv with, I don't mean to insult you personally. I think it's a phenomenon we've all experienced as performers. But if you get that sense when you're playing like a buddy role, when you're playing like a partnership role, that your partner doesn't have your back? Like, what happens if Anne Hathaway slips in her ridiculous shoes and falls? Do you really think that James Franco is gonna have the presence of mind in this performance to cover for her? Like, like, the way that he did his job so poorly in terms of being a charismatic, active host who was engaged with the performance, I mean, I could see it on her face that she knew she was out there by herself. And that's where the anxiety comes from, I think. That's where you see the sort of like desperation of like I am really scared that what I'm doing is not going to be well received because I'm not being supported out here. I am here by myself in what is supposed to be a group act. Now if they would said Anne Hathaway, host the Oscars by yourself, I think she would have been fine. But if they say, Anne Hathaway, here's your partner, host the Oscars with your partner, and then your partner just goes backstage and gets wasted or whatever, and then comes out and doesn't deliver, like that is enough to scare anybody. And that is and any performer is going to hate that situation. Like performance, the sort of magic that comes out of collaborative performance is built on trust. And if you can't trust the person you're on stage with, then it is gonna be, it's going to be in every line in your face. And it takes a real master and probably somebody quite a bit more experienced than Anne Hathaway, with all due respect, to, to continue onward Right, in spite of having a partner on stage. Like, for example, here's an example of somebody who I feel like would is so supremely experienced that if you put him on stage with James Franco in the situation, he would have still been funny, but wouldn't have been as good as Anne Hathaway overall. Imagine if instead of Anne Hathaway hosting the Oscars, it was Chevy Chase hosting the Oscars. Right. Just thought experiment. Right. And he's not doing any he's not wearing a dress or anything. And like Chevy Chase probably wouldn't have been all that great hosting the Oscars. Like his sort of dry sardonic, performative kind of humor these days is pretty it's a little on the dark side. Like, he doesn't have as much energy as a performer as he went when he was younger. He's always a little bit aloof. But, like, you would get the sense that you can put Chevy Chase on stage with anybody – like, you can put Chevy Chase on stage with, like, with like uh, Iggy Pop, right? Full-on heroin addiction. And, like, and like he shows up, and like, you think, and he's like, I think Iggy Pop is sober, comes on full-on heroin addiction, like, totally wasted. Chevy Chase is going to make it funny, because Chevy Chase is, like, a supremely experienced performer. And, and that experience is, is really tough to get and really huge. If you're talking about anybody who isn't on the level of, like, a supreme consummate comic performer, trying to make people laugh, you go out there and you're Scene partner is not there with you. It is terrifying, you know, and it it's is
0: funny that uh, <laughs> watch us get really obscure. Stanislavski yeah. has something about it. Uh, in An Actor Prepares, right? Yeah, because oh, good, the, good, good, good. Yeah. Sort of the seminal text of, you know, uh, late 19th century psychologically, 20th century psychologically realistic acting that was interpreted by the group theater and teachers like Lee Strasberg, Sanford Meisner, Stella Adler, uh, and that crew, uh, the director Harold Klurman and others, um, to become what we think of as method acting or, you know, uh, in the mainstream kind of um, 20th century psychologically Realistic acting Um, He talks about Being under stress Right Being under the kind of Emotional strain Of performance And added to that The kind of The emotional strain Of Uh, whatever the character situation is, because, you know, presumably you're feeling something because you're, you know, I don't know, you're Hamlet and you're trying to kill your stepfather or whatever. Presumably something is going on inside you. And he, um, he talks about the, the, uh, the impulse to tense up and the impulse to relax. And the idea is that, you know, your, your fight or flight brain wants to tense up, you know, and get you ready, you know, get you ready to fight. Um, but that in fact a performer has to relax at that moment, uh, because it's not, um, like tensing up and pushing really hard and trying to make it good um, through effort and through a kind of like an increasingly frantic uh, doing of various bull crap. Um, yeah. This Which is, is, not, is pretty,
2: this, pretty this, much the entire substance of, like, the scary movie movies and the epic <laughs> movie movies. It's like it's, – that's all that is. It's like, hey, you're on stage with – you're on a camera with Carmen Electra. Do some bullshit. And it's like, oh my god, what am I going to do? Crazy eyes.
0: And he, yeah, says, that, yeah. he says that the point – I mean the point of training uh, as a performer is to, um, uh, is to kind of get yourself – get ingrained within your own self, uh, the habit to relax in those moments rather than to kind of push harder. In in those moments, and it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, uh, way to think about life too. I think, like because you know, there's so many things in life that we just think like, oh God, if I just if I just try a little more, you know, if I just squeeze yeah. a little harder, like, uh, it can uh, rage
2: rage against the dying. Like if you can try hard enough while you're dying, it'll somehow not be as bad, right? But like you know. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little dark. But, like, yeah, it's, like, in, in response to some sort of immediate stress. That was
0: some Chevy what? Chase material there, Pete.
2: <laughs> <laughs> do you watch because Community? Because I was, Chevy dying.
0: Chase is, Chevy Chase is actually really good on Community. And the thing, about, the thing about him now is that he's willing to risk not being liked, you know? And, and, uh, and it, really, it, it really makes him powerful because he can do anything. You can do anything yeah. if you're willing not to be liked. If you're willing for people to think that you're an asshole... You can't, you you know, it's limitless. And um, he totally does. There's
2: a great scene in First Night where Richard Gere explains that as Sir Lancelot. where He's like, to be a great swordsman, you have to be, you know, you have to not be afraid to die. Right. And like that's that's uh, and I think it's the backbone of a lot of different kinds of martial arts disciplines, at least as they're explained to be in movies. So 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 Chevy Chase has basically become a kung fu master of comedy is what you're telling me.
0: Absolutely. Uh, As as Bruce Lee says, you must be like water, my friend.
2: When, uh, <laughs> I Which know. I used in, in, in my article about the schmooze from the My Little Pony movie. But I right. want to get yeah, water
0: right. can flow, but it can also crash. If you put water so, in the glass, <laughs> it becomes the glass. If you put water exactly. in the teapot, it becomes the teapot. You know, yep. uh, be like water, my friend. Exactly Uh, Exactly. So that's, uh, I think we're finally done, half an hour in We're finally done with the (laughs) intro to the show
2: (laughs) And you thought we were going to do a short one Just because we were all tired and intoxicated There's a
0: bunch of stuff I want to talk about And I know you guys have some stuff that you want to bring out But hold on to it because I want to do a little house cleaning for the show We are now no longer at the bottom of the list of 120 film and television podcasts That are featured in the iTunes store Right? That is to say, if you go to iTunes and then click on podcasts and then click on film and television and then click on show all one hundred twenty, we used to be at the very bottom of that list, but now we are in the middle of the pack. (sighs) Future Future No, we're like we're like in the 80s or something. It's, nice. it's phenomenal success uh, from the point of view of, uh, of a bunch of guys who started a podcast a couple years ago. So um, here's, here's what I want to ask. The reason that that's true is because, uh, because our listeners have been awesome and have been going to iTunes and have been rating us. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess because you like the podcast and listen to it, you've been giving us high ratings. Um, So, uh, that actually, that really helps us. It helps push us up the rankings. It got us onto the board last week and now it's pushed us halfway up the board. Please, uh, if you do anything for us, keep it, keep that coming. You don't have to leave a long text comment. All you have to do is click on, click on the stars, uh, on the overthinking It podcast page, uh, on iTunes. Um, and that, that more than anything else Kind of helps us promote the show right now That's, that's the thing that we want to focus on So thank cool, you to everyone cool. to, the, you know, to the people who did it between last week and this week Can you go and do that uh, now If you haven't uh, you know, Invest 20 seconds in really helping bring the show To a wider audience And that'll, that'll help us a lot, a lot.
1: And if, if you're not able to do that A donation of $10,000 For advertising would be a close second
0: <laughs> Well, speaking, speaking of that, speaking of giving us your money, uh, you are listening to this podcast. Uh, it is uh, Monday, February 28th um, or later. And so uh, you've, you've seen today that the post on overthinking it introduces episode two of The Overview. Uh, Series of alternative commentaries on movies They're not comedy commentaries Like Mystery Science Theater uh, 3000 Or Riff Tracks They are overthinking commentaries They are sort of uh, We watch the movie together and we sort of react to it Um, You need You um, You need to get uh, Your own copy DVD uh, streaming or downloadable Copy of the movie uh, In order to enjoy Um, The overview Because it's just The track of us talking Anything else would be Copyright violation But you can uh, We've released episode two And uh, For the first time We're charging a couple bucks For it uh, I think they're the same price as Rift Tracks. They're three ninety nine, and you can download it on uh, on iTunes. We've asked, uh, we've always asked for donations, and our readers and listeners have been uh, super generous, overwhelmingly generous with us. But I've always felt a little bad about asking for donations because we don't give you anything back. Well, I guess we do. You know, spend hours and hours working on the website, but uh, nothing specific back uh, in exchange for that. No specific value back in exchange for the specific value of your money. Well, now we can. So we these um, for for a couple bucks we're going to sell now these uh these um uh the overview alternative con- commentaries don't worry about the podcast the podcast will always be free the site will always be free uh we haven't sold out it's nothing like that but uh
1: Scotland will also always be free
2: <laughs> <laughs> do 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 do,
0: do, do, um, do, 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 do. Yes, and
2: brave. What? That's Scotland, a
0: song. Scotland. It's and a song
2: about Scotland. Brave.
0: But yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, if you want to um, if you want to uh, support this podcast, uh, click on uh, five stars on iTunes. Uh, but if you want to support the site and everything that we do, you now no longer have to give us your money for nothing. Now you can give us just a few bucks, just three ninety nine, and get a. Um, Get an awesome DVD commentary. Oh, did I mention it's on a little film called Starship Troopers? (laughs) No,
2: in all the, like, 500 words you've dedicated to this plug, you did not mention it was for Starship (laughs) Troopers. It is is on a little film called Starship (laughs) Troopers. Look, I want to talk about the Oscars. I'm really psyched about this new Alright, I'm done I'm done housekeeping. Me. I'm so gonna we're, buy it myself. We're back,
0: I get... <laughs> we're back to the Oscars. We're back to the no we're not returning to your regularly scheduled uh, now half an hour, halfway into the show, the intro is over. <laughs> so back to you, pencil.
2: Okay, so let's talk about what we just talked about, right? So what you just experienced was a pitch of a product. This is the fundamental act of communication that happens between sort of these com- these sort of uh, content commercial. I'm going to coin the phrase like sort of uh, uh, ConCom, right? Which is ConCom is content commercial. Content commercial enterprises, where which we have some sort of set of ideas or data or some sort of content-related thing. And content often refers to sort of semantic data in text form or visual form that's being consumed for some sort Sort of reason that's being generated either for free or by people who are professionals um Driving it out there to the audience, and, and sort of Konkum uh, is kind of the foundation of what the Academy is is trying to hold on to, right? Uh, it's this idea that we're sort of pumping. Anybody can make movies now. Anybody has the technology to do it. You can get. You can if you can make more movies in a year. In, not even in Bollywood, but in Tollywood, down in like Andhra Pradesh in like the Telugu-speaking version of India, you can make more movies in a year than you, than you can watch in a lifetime. So you don't need Hollywood to make movies. So the question is sort of like. Why do we why do we um, arrange ourselves and organize this power around this particular sort of group that's giving us these movies, right? And I think that it all comes down to this. um, Like, I think that this this idea, this question of like who should be in charge of the ideas that are coming to us, is very present. It's very present in the culture today. Um, One of my favorite sort of meme slash slang phrases is the the three word phrase "like a boss." Right, and I think that as somebody who goes out and does something like like a boss, and it's from the Senate Live sketch, and it's from other things, uh, is it demonstrating to you the ways that people perform power, right, and perform and earn through their performance uh, your respect and authority. And so, as such, talking about the Oscars, talking about who was like a boss tonight, I want to sort of steer this in direction of talking about I think the real king of the Oscars, which I think was Colin Firth. Right. Like, I don't think anybody was out there tonight who was like a boss, the degree that Colin Firth was, right? Goes out the everybody knows he's gonna win. Gonna win the Oscar, goes out there, wins the Oscar, does the Oscar speech thing, and then like walks off. And I just I remember his face. Did you guys watch how he walked off stage? Like, so Colin Firth comes out and he talks about all the stuff he went through, like all the stuff that the, the writer went through as a stammer and, and all the stuff his team went through, and he talks about this movie, and then like he has this pain on his face, right? And he's sort of like channeling his character a little bit and he walks off stage and there's this amazing moment where like the tension has vanished off of his face and you see the colin firth that to me i always remember like so many of my female friends have lusted after this guy for years and years and years and years and years right the bbc pride and prejudice guy the english crush of everybody he's a freaking heartthrob right he's ridiculous colin firth is the man right it's hard for guys to understand because he's that damn good. He flies under the radar, and, we, and he, he's able to elude our any sort of like ability to compete with him. He can't beat Colin Firth. He's the man, right? Walks off stage. Tension is off of his face. Sandra Bullock steps up, and like motions to him to follow her and he sort of like offers his arm and she sort of follows him and there's this look on his face that just said to me like like a boss it's like i just went out there and delivered a straight down the middle oscar speech you know won the oscar i'm the king of the world but not in that sort of uh, obtrusive way that james cameron is the king of the world and i've asserted my authority as an actor and i mean james franco when he was talking about the oscars was like oh if i win an oscar do i get any money no, you don't get any money. You get prestige is what Anne Hathaway tried to explain to him. Um, but, but I think that what you really get is that bossness, right? And that bossness has real tangible value. And I mean people get caught up in tangible value and the commodity value of tangible value and like all the hard currency value of tangible value. But it's all about negotiation and people who are in charge and people who are getting stuff done. And the Oscars is this huge demonstration of things. So I just want to – I'm, I'm going to toss this out in your guys' direction. You know, I, maybe it was Colin Firth. Maybe it was somebody else. Hugh Jackman was kind of a boss tonight. I don't know why. I don't know why everyone was talking about Hugh Jackman. Why? I, he hosted Oscars in the past. Great. Awesome. Played a gay guy at a piano. Musical. Spectacular. He was in Oklahoma. Drury Lane. And Wolverine you know Origins. And it's,
0: it's, you know what, Pete? I think you're right, and it's kind of passed on to a new generation. Because you know who used to be like a boss all the time? is Jack who? Nicholson. Who would yeah, sit, Who was never nominated for a damn thing. Well, I mean... No. Not... I mean... You know.
2: He didn't have to be. Even if he was, he right, didn't exactly. care.
0: That's, that's my, my point. He won for as good as it gets. Uh,
2: I don't know if he won for anything yeah, else. I, but I'm won, saying yeah.
0: in the years that he wasn't nominated. I, sorry, yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to make the claim that Jack Nicholson has never been nominated for a one an Oscar. I, I meant that mm-hmm. even in the years that he wasn't nominated, he would sit there in the you know, first two or three rows with his sunglasses on, right? Like kind of grinning broadly at everything like mm-hmm. a boss. You know, it's, it's kind of like the torch is passed to a new generation. And I think that, I think that, um, Hugh Jackman maybe was, was filling that role a little bit where he's kind of doing it like a boss. Um,
1: He was the only person out there who had a whole song written about him. That That made no sense. No sense at all. (laughs) No sense at all, but it did sort of, it definitely contributed to the bossness of his evening.
0: And what a a waste of Anne Hathaway, who's a really good singer. And also, she was hitting it a little hard. I mean, as a performer, Mm -hmm. right? She was was overselling it a little bit. It It was not just kind of singing, it was like, of singing, you know, because she had a
2: terrible number that was given to her with no rehearsal and some dude playing with her who had nothing to do. It, I hate it when people get left out to dry. Like you I know, it actually was... it
1: actually sort of works because that song was all about being on stage with a partner who didn't show up. Right. <laughs> okay. I buy which which, that. which was more. sort of meta for the evening.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, but Jack Nick. I mean, Jack Nicholson was was like a boss. I. Yeah. Uh, oh, I have a lot of directions I want to I go from here. But, um, can I can Josh, let me, let say me something about
1: being a pick. boss? Uh, no, I want to go back to that point that Pete made earlier. Uh, two points that Pete made earlier one was about uh, achieving youth at any age. Mm-hmm. And then the other was about um, the sort of commodification of the Oscars and it being a product or sort of selling the product that is Hollywood. Yeah, And I thought there were, there were a couple of interesting things that happened about that um, sort of in that. They, they made a joke at the beginning about having Anne Hathaway and James Franco because they appealed to the, the younger demographic. But the other things they did were the PS-22 kids and the auto-tune segment. Mm. Which were both sort of, you know, both very much like YouTube sensations, right? Do we know uh, if that
0: do we know if the autotune segment was actually the Gregory Brothers or was it them ripping off the Gregory Brothers?
1: It flashed by so fast that I couldn't see it. Yeah. Um, I was looking for it cuz like in
0: it. it's not like I mean in all the autotune the news ones they insert themselves into it but it's not I wonder if they had just produced it for the Oscar people or if they um, if the Oscar people just did just took the concept and uh, ran with it without you know, without involving the people who popularized it on YouTube. I,
1: I don't know, and I couldn't find it on the Internet in the minutes between uh, the end of the Oscars and when we yeah. started. But I encourage one of our commenters to let us know. But, mm-hmm. but sort of an interesting thing there is, like, um, in 2010, 41 million people watched the Oscars. 73 million people have watched the Bed Intruder song. So, like, it, they are. I mean, they're they're sort of very clearly reaching out for this new demographic, which I think is good because Hollywood has thus far really sort of um, turned up its nose at the YouTube generation and and done everything possible to sort of prevent uh, YouTube from taking its place. And I think sort of working with it and trying to co-opt it is probably business strategy ultimately. I, think yeah, I,
2: I, guess, I mean, succeed by find out how they're much more likely to succeed. How are they going to be much more likely to succeed? Did you hear that stuff, Matt? I'm getting some interference on my line.
0: Yeah, I know. that uh, uh, We just had a little bit of Skypiness. Uh, say, what you, say what you just said, Pete, about um, finding out how they're going to be much more likely to succeed.
2: Okay, so, so they're going to be much more likely to succeed. Okay, so so my reaction, my initial reaction to what Josh is is talking about is, I think something that you're seeing playing out around the world, right? Which is that um, people are obsessed with growth, and I say this, and mostly in reference to established business minds, right? Established business minds, when you're in charge of like a large organization, you're, you're really obsessed with how you're going to grow the organization because the you have shareholders or what have you who are, you know, and shareholders can be anybody, stakeholder, it can be somebody who's involved in your business, somebody based on reputation, doesn't have to be money, but somebody who wants you to grow, right? And it's like, how are you going to grow? Because you're part of this big thing, but uh, the only way you're going to turn that big thing into something bigger, the only way that you're going to convert the ownership of this big thing into something Bigger is if you find a way to grow, right? But this causes people to take for granted that they're in charge of a big thing, right? Uh, like it's like, okay, well, I mean, this sort of calls into question the wisdom of being associated with a big thing because you have to grow, and it's hard to grow big things. So, so um, it's hard to grow the Oscars into a new j- demographic. Like that's a hard thing to do, and you get to come excess with it. But I think what you saw this year was that you're getting hit from two sides. Like, there's this a lot of pressure to grow into the new demographic, but there is like a central threat to your home turf. Right, Which is that like your, your base audience is aging. People are going away from television. They're, they're going away from conventional media. And so the Oscars can't really sit back on its hands anymore and rely on its solid base. Right, Like, oh, we have to go find the new avenue for growth so that we can move the needle for our shareholders or our stakeholders. How about you find a way, some sort of island that you can hold on to because your ship is sinking? And I don't, mean, I don't mean to be too alarmist about it, but it's like I think you saw this in both sides of the Oscars tonight. And I think I think and I have mentioned a couple of the instances where it popped up before, Um, you know, the world is changing and the dynamics of the passage of money and fame and media are changing. And as such, like um, I think that the reason to me, the Oscars this year felt really different from any of the other major award shows, which felt a lot more complacent, like the Oscars felt pretty poorly executed in a lot of instances but they didn't feel complacent that was something that I, I noticed I don't think that they felt like they were sitting on their laurels they were taking a lot of risks they were trying a lot of random stuff a lot of it didn't really work out right but but I think that what this showed is that they were in touch with the reality of their situation which is that the years that they can afford to just sort of sit back and be in charge of Hollywood and everything's going to be fine and, and they're sort of hoping to eke out that extra two percent that they're going to get by getting a bunch of like 18 year olds rather than 20 year olds to watch particular movie like those years are, are, are people are still focusing on that as their jobs but those years where that's the thing that the people in charge are really worried about are passing i, I think that that's my sense of it right i mean does that does that make sense to any of you guys either it's like you, you can do you can it doesn't what what profited a man to get five percent growth and lose his entire principle right um you know what i mean does does that it's like it's like um uh taleb nicholas Nassim taleb in the black swan has a great graph where he shows a graph of a line that's going up 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 and he asks you to extrapolate from this line what's going to happen in the future right and uh and you can guess oh it's going to keep going up and he informs you what this line is actually the life this line is actually the weight of a turkey right and it goes up 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 and then it Collapses when you cut the turkey's head off and you serve him as dinner, and he no longer has weight because he's no longer a living being and he can't be defined anymore. You know, it's it's like growth is only part of the equation. When you're prosperous, it seems like all of the equation. When there's a threat to your essential existence, it becomes a very small part of the equation. Sometimes, like you need to find something better than growth. You need to find a new stability.
1: Just in case anyone else was confused, he's talking about the book, The Black Swan, and not
2: oh. the <laughs> <Oscar laughs> Austrian I'm sorry. I spent yeah, a yeah, half yeah. Of that
1: trying to figure out what the hell was going on.
2: Um, uh, so, oh, no, I, I, the, I, the book or my monologue, my little rant there. I apologize. I mean, but, I want to make it make more sense. But. No, no, no,
1: no. You, you, you make perfect sense. I um, and I guess to my point is is not that they succeeded. In in sort of incorporating YouTube and that generation into the Oscars, but I do think it's telling that they're trying now. Yeah, which is not yeah. something I'd seen them do before. But you what know, does? I guess six months ago they were still you know, the, and and even today there are still like you know lawsuits all the time. They're they're working overtime to yank anything movie related off of YouTube. Yeah, and I think you know. I'd like to see this as a turning point because I think it's good for both, you know, people who like movies and like YouTube, but also for the industry if they can sort of start looking for ways to work together rather than standing in the way. I mean, right now yeah. this is like, you know, the, the horse cart association fighting the automobile. You
2: just, mm-hmm. you know,
1: better, to, uh, better for Teamsters to just start working with trucks.
2: Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. The thing about – yeah, the thing about large organizations is they're relentless, right? And they, they seem really stupid at the beginning of a period of change, but by the time the period of change has come around, they usually figure things out. So I felt like tonight felt like those first couple pings of the sonar in the submarine movie where I was like, you know, bong. Oh, shit. Bong. They don't have you yet. They haven't yet figured it out. They haven't got a firing solution on you yet, so you can still pull a crazy Ivan or something.
0: Academy but- of Motion Picture Arts and <laughs> Sciences, re-verify our distance to YouTube and new media.
2: <laughs> One- Some things down there don't react well to BitTorrent. <laughs> yeah, One- uh, well,
1: so the, so the, the counterargument to all of this is the fact that the social network lost, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and, and they very much set it up to lose. Mm-hmm. Like the intro for all the best picture films was the audio from the King's speech over, like a mo- you know a montage of other films, but you know it yeah, was that's, the that's, King's that's, speech. I
0: well, I don't know that. I mean that uh, you, you know the Oscar Tylers are known only to the independent accounting firm of Price Waterhouse Coopers until <laughs> yeah, sure. the envelopes are opened are opened on air. But there was, I mean, there has been a sense in, and I obviously I follow all the kind of. Uh, popular media about entertainment and a lot of the trade media also and uh, there was a sense that it was it was going to be king 's speech, but you know what that was not true two months ago or or three months ago it King 's speech has kind of surged recently over the last six or eight weeks. It was social networks to lose i mean there was a sense that it that it was that, and that um, that even actually there was a there was kind of a sense around town and let me let me uh cite, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, I have no idea what I'm citing. There was just a, a kind of sense that it, that it was going to split Best Picture going to King's Speech and Best Director going to Fincher. So uh, when Tom Hooper got it for King's Speech, um, which I'm not sure is entirely warranted over Fincher, because, you know, I don't know, Fincher did incredible things with um, with the direction. I mean, you know, with the, the managing of storytelling in social network that were far and away above... Um, uh, above what happened in in King's Speech, which was more or less a straightforward narrative, well well told, but more or less straightforward, uh, mm-hmm. not groundbreaking really. Um, now a lot of that was probably the script, but anyway, there was a sense that 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 was going to be Social Networks. Um, uh, that was going to be Social Networks kind of acknowledgement that that Fincher was going to get it, and uh, and then King's Speech, Colin Farrell, you know. Um, uh, for Best Picture,
2: uh, Colin Firth, not Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell, <laughs> Colin
0: Farrell <laughs> for uh, for. have been a very
2: different film. Yeah, exactly.
0: uh, for a Phone Booth, uh, yeah. <laughs> for his work in the seminal, How sad is this? seminal I classic re- Phone Booth. <laughs> I reached back my in bad. my I, well, actually, I stand in <laughs> Colin Firth. Yes, uh, I, I was, reached back was. in
2: my mind to try to figure out a Colin Farrell quote that I could whip out to like make a joke, and there aren't any. That's yeah. so sad. <laughs> Anyway, continue. Continue. Well, I'm gonna, uh, I'm uh, agree with Matt completely.
0: A, if I were from the if I were born on a farm, uh, and were <laughs> retarded. I might find Bruges <laughs> impressive, <laughs> but I wasn't, and I'm not, so I don't. That's I mean, that's really Martin McDonough. It's not really common. Bullseye. <laughs> there you go. Oh man. Um, but yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. Go ahead, Josh. Well, I, I want to agree with Matt. the
1: The King's Speech was a solid movie. It was nowhere near as good as The Social Network or True Grit, which, Frank, I'm embarrassed to say, are the only other two that I saw. But I, I don't understand the hype. I really don't get it at all. Um, Matt, do you have a better sense of like why this movie did so well?
2: What King's Speech? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Matt probably has a pretty good sense. I mean, I have a pretty good sense for it too. I think it was phenomenal. It was it was much it was much better acted in a lot of ways um, in terms of the actual technique that had to be employed by the actors to get the work done. I think, uh, but I don't know. What, what do you think, Matt? I mean, Josh posed the question at you, so I don't want to jump all over it. You
0: know what, Oscar? Well, you can jump on it. Here's a couple things off the off the top of my head. Oscar movies tend to. Um a lot of Oscar movies tend to kind of indulge in the fantasy that you are probing very deeply into the, the kind of the personality of a, of a particular character. You know, um, does that make sense? Uh, that like you're, you're really kind of X-raying someone's soul in a very raw way. And,
1: that uh, makes perfect sense, but does not distinguish the king's speech from the social network. No,
0: I, I think that it does, because in, in the social network, uh, part of the point is that the character of this guy, of this uh, Mark Zuckerberg character, uh, the, and the character, I mean, not the actual guy, the character, is, is that he's kind of a cipher. You know, That his, his motives on one level seem to be um, very straightforward. He's doing it to impress a girl. Uh, but on another level, it's, it's really unclear what drives the guy. You know, It really is unclear... Uh, what the engine is that kind of that kind of uh, motivates him, and uh, and King's speech is a story of of a kind of redemption um, that is a lot more satisfying. It's it's a lot more sentimental, but it's mm-hmm. a, it's a lot more satisfying in a way that that kind of jibes with. Um, with Oscar movies. A couple other things. Uh, King's Speech was released later in the year, so it had the advantage of novelty. It was the advent- It was uh, the um, beneficiary of a huge um, Oscar uh, awards push by the Weinstein Company. I got not one, but two screeners of the King's Speech in the mail. Uh, one for being a member in a Screen Actors Guild, and another one, I think, for subscribing to i don 't know some magazine or some you know trade magazine or something that i that I subscribe to they the, they were like literally distrib- distributing copies of the movie with magazines you know mm-hmm. in order to kind of get it out there and kind of raise awareness of the things the The people at the end um, towards the end of uh, award season were doing all kinds of screenings uh, and uh, you know panel discussions and q and a 's with you know where you go to the Pacific design Center or the directors Guild or Oh, I don't know the Aero Theater in Santa Monica or something like that. And you see a uh, you see the you see the movie and then have a you know hour long talk with Jesse Eisenberg and the art director or something like that afterwards, which is the kind of thing that, that people do. Um, it was the beneficiary of a huge push, uh, and it just it just built up momentum. You know what I mean? It was a, it was a question of momentum uh, that had to do with timing and luck, but also I think with with um, Something to do with the movie, with the, with the fact that it, it uh it's a story of redemption. It's um uh it's a story that obeys certain kind of gratifying laws of Hollywood movie making. Uh, things about kind of destiny and determinism, and um and also of kind of overcoming, and uh and it it, it kind of probed deeper into a character's soul, or it made it seem like you could probe it into a character's soul, I mean, mm. right, like, the thing that, that movies are selling, mm. ultimately, is, is the, the fantasy that life is intelligible, you know, that we can actually understand what the hell goes on in the world, because right. really, really we can't. And, you know, yeah. if you try to account... I mean, you're a historian far more so than either Peter or I, Josh. And, you know, and, and you you know that, like, what is history? It's one damn thing after another. You know what I mean? There is no master narrative. There is no great man. There is no... Uh, single theory that can account for it all it's one goddamn thing after another and, um, and narrative uh, th- the function that narrative serves is that you know, it staves off death a little bit or it staves off kind of chaos and meaninglessness w- with the illusion that w- we can understand bits of it uh, in certain pockets that, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that certain parts of life fall into predictable uh, patterns and we're gratified with the fantasy that that, that, that might be so And, um, you know, and King's speech uh, gratified that urge a lot more than social network did. Mm -hmm. There's my two (laughs) cents.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I would add to that that I think that um, the tone around – so so we're at a historical point right now I think where you can liken it to sort of mid-Great Depression where um, you had a great crisis and you start to see recovery from the crisis. And what happened in the Great Depression, of course, is you had a backlash by uh, certain sort of uh, – but by as, – as you start to of see creative destruction, which is what happens in any sort of downturn. And, and I'm a firm believer in the idea that in systems, whole, whole systems tend to sort of uh, thrive or wither at the same time like there are a lot of rhythms uh whether you're an individual and then you don't get a lot of sleep and therefore you don't eat well and therefore you don't exercise and so on and so forth but like you see things that systemically flow across uh organizations individuals and and social uh organisms um where you know we're at a place in the great depression you had a situation where things got really bad and then you're supposed to have a creative destruction leads to an upswing but then you had a a backlash by established authority that made things a lot worse and then they stayed really bad for a while before they got better we 're at the point right now in our culture, and not, not just economically but culturally as well, I think where we got hit real bad and we started to build back up, and now you 're seeing the backlash like now now you 're seeing the people who are uncomfortable with the new reality kind of exercising all the authority that they have to change things, and I think that um, that the social network if, if – the social network is a movie for – a movie of creative destruction. Like it's a movie that looks at the way that we're living now and kind of projects, OK, from these circumstances, people can build up these new things and we can move forward. And I don't think we're in a place right now where people want to move forward. I think we might have been six months ago. But I think right now we're in a place where people are all of a sudden scared and there's a lot more uncertainty and there's a lot more fear uh, about the, the status. And we have to consider the role of the baby boomers, the sort of dominant population block that dictates a lot of our economic and political power inside and outside of the Academy of Motion, picture Arts, and Sciences, people who are getting older and are scared and are under threat. Uh, the King's Speech is a, is a movie about the blitz, right? It's a movie about what the Nazis are going to come and blow up your house, and you need somebody who's going to tell you that it's going to be okay, right? And, and then that, that's what the movie's about, right, is that this, this impending doom is happening, and the whole reason why what the king is doing is urgent is because he needs to give people what they need to get through the blitz, um, and that's his role. And I feel like we're a civilization, at least Hollywood maybe, that feels like it might be on the edge of a blitz and, and wants to have that, that king's speech that comes in and tells them that everything is going to be okay. And doesn't want the new maven who's going to like, make all of our jobs irrelevant and move on and move the world forward or the country forward or our people forward. We don't want that right now because we're scared because we're cowards. Uh, I shouldn't say we're cowards. That's not mean. That's mean because we're not cowards. Is that, uh,
1: is that need for comfort why they resurrected Bob Hope?
2: almost certainly Gone with the Wind, Bob Hope, all of the historical like dialectic that's in the thing about trying to look at movies as this gateway to the past and this way of preserving past generations.
0: I also, mean, It know, wasn't actually just about the history of the movies. A lot of it was about the history of the Oscars as an institution. You know, yeah, I mean, oh, it, yeah, definitely, definitely. The idea def- being yeah. that kind of institutions can survive into the future. You know,
1: the, the, okay, all right, I got I to throw out one other bit of weirdness. In the opening montage, when they're going through all the Best Picture nominees and then spend a full minute on Back to the Future? You yes, remember that? Like, it was just out of nowhere, Back to the Future, which, which perfectly fits with sort of the theme Pete's describing, I think.
2: I, I mean, I think that Back to the Future is a good enough movie that its goodness is able to travel through time to different time periods. And while it's not as good of a movie now as it was in 1985, it's good enough to be better than The King's Speech. Well, like, so
1: Ann, it's Anne Hathaway and, and uh, Franco in the DeLorean going back and, like, the scene they're shooting is when they go back in time to the 50s. Which they then proceed to do numerous times throughout the the show.
2: Well, that's not fair because the scene that they're shooting is when Einstein the dog goes forward in time by one minute. But I, I guess that that's, I mean, that's probably... <laughs> you make it.
1: You make an excellent point, but there's not, like, in the other one, there's not the fun shot of the fire going through their legs.
2: Yeah, I think that they were probably talking about going back in time to the 50s. I think that's what's being recalled, is like, we're going back in time. And they're in the mind, they're inside the mind of Alec Baldwin, right? Which is, the, again, like this idea that the older generation has become this sort of reflection of itself and become very self-conscious about itself. You know, like Baldwin, Shatner, like these are names of kind of the older generation coming to know its own its own weakness and... Coming to terms with it and moving past it, uh, so I love that we were inside the mind of Alec Baldwin. That was amazing, and that I love that Morgan Freeman narrates inside. Exactly. Oh, exactly! So-
1: like the most comforting voice in America lives there in the mind of the baby boomers.
2: Exactly, exactly. Telling every- telling them that everything's going to be okay. And supposedly, what we're led to believe at the end of this movie is that this dream of like this Oscar authority, this like sort of um ability to dispense the legitimization of merit that that has until this point in the framing device lived inside the head of alec baldwin you know who at this point is so is playing like you know what like 20 time ho- not 20 time but like seven time host of saturday night live alec baldwin more than anybody else right he's playing that it's the same monologue he did in saturday night live like t- like seven years ago when he's like oh, i've hosted him in the five timers club or whatever you know remember that Alec baldwin always like lorded yep. over everybody that he was a big host of saturday night live that's what i felt like he was doing in this one he's like i'm a entertainer who's entertaining these kinds of circumstances we're supposed to be led to believe this is actually the fantasy of james franco which it is not <laughs> like pretty clearly like james franco
0: was pretty stoned it could have been
2: <laughs> That's true, but it would have been not a fantasy. I mean I think um I'm reminded of when my eighteenth uh, century literature professors talked about the differences between different romantic definitions or terms associated with imagination, like the difference between imagination and fancy was always something that amused me, like the different sort of ways that but Shelley and uh, Keats and uh, t- thought about like imagining things right and it 's like I can imagine that Franco like imagined that this happened i don 't it could be his dream in the sense that like it occurred to him while he was in a state of altered consciousness. I I don't believe that it's something he aspires to. <laughs> like some someday I'm going to be just like Alec Baldwin. I don't necessarily know if that's in his head. I'm not sure. Um, like, do you know – did you have those kind of ins- – was that just like the sort of peculiarity of like a Bromwich education or like did you also encounter in your literary studies, Matt, like sort of really precise definitions of different kinds of active ways of imagining things?
0: No, I went – I didn't go in for the, uh, for the Bromwiches. I went in for the Hollanders you know, oh, whatever, <laughs> or, the, or the Blooms, you know, the uh... –
2: Want to get away from the human element and get to the words is what you're saying. Uh, I shouldn't say such things. That's
0: well, yeah. I mean, Bloom is not a uh, is not a typologist. Like um, he 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 fully claimed not to remember what the hell he had written in a map of misreading and the anxiety of influence and like Aegon. You know, he uh, he really it was like it was a vision in a dream. You know, it was very Kublai Khan. Uh, studying, studying with Bloom uh, I don't know, Hollander was more of a systematizer And Bromwich was definitely a systematizer uh, So much so that, that Bromwich was the um, uh, Was the, you know, prize fighter That they picked to go up against Stanley Fish When he came to campus in college And, and wanted to, like, debate someone About relativism okay. Ugh.
2: That's my only reaction to that.
0: That uh, I definitely saw. I I definitely saw a uh, a prize fight between David Bromwich and Stanley Fish.
2: Who won that thing?
0: Uh, Well, I think Bromwich. Christian Bale. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Christian. What the f? How did Christian
2: Bale win? Like what the f? I've never seen a man win a Best Supporting Actor Oscar for jumping out of a window onto a bunch of garbage bags. Did you not think
0: that that performance was brilliant, though?
2: Of course it was. But of course it was, but the tone was all over the place. I tend to feel like Oscar, I guess, Best Supporting Actor is the place yeah, where it's they true. were. Yeah, true. Was that?
0: I mean, was that was that performance farcical? Was it tragic? It was. I mean, it was a lot of things. It was Chekhovian in the sense that it was very funny. It was very sad. Yeah. and it was you know it was kind of life. It was all over the place.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if he if he hadn't been basing that on a real person, I think it would have been almost impossible to put together from pieces. Right. I mean, I guess you probably could have done it, but like you would not believe that all those different pieces would belong as different facets of the same human
0: being it was just can I, can I bring something up mm-hmm. pete you tweeted very early on um it's a, it's something that i think is kind of a fundamental contradiction that is um you said that the kind of the elegance of the red carpet uh is undercut by the omnipresent television cameras or the the kind of the the uh what the the narrative the vapid to- hosts
2: yeah, yeah. I, I said, yeah, it's more the host than the cameras. I said overexposure and over and, – and what is it? And uh, I said overexposure and uh, I forget exactly what the Total other over access. thing was. Th- yeah, over access. Over access and overexposure. Uh, I, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I heard George Clooney once talk t- – t- t- uh, tell a story on like 60 Minutes or uh, – not 60 Minutes. When has he ever been on 60 Minutes? In some interview. I think it was Clooney. This may be apocryphal. I may be talking out of my ass. I've drank uh, – you know, my computer and I have had a couple bottles of wine at this point. But, yeah. um uh and he was talking about he was on a, uh, an airplane flight, um, a commercial flight with Mel Gibson, and they got off the airplane uh, and were in the airport. And Clooney, who was a soap actor at the time, I think, or was on ER or something, was yeah. mobbed, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Mel Gibson, everyone kept their distance from. And he's, you know, and Clooney is telling the story. He was traveling with his, you know, friend and fellow actor, and like, whereas he was mobbed, Mel Gibson, who is a movie star, not a TV actor, but a movie star,
2: which is a higher order. Just to be entirely clear, it's like a rarefied air of of existence. It is.
0: It's it's a higher order, but it's also it's like you go somewhere to see a movie star. You know what I mean? You kind of go to the shrine. Um, and the, the TV actors come into, the TV stars come into your house all the time. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're kind of a part of your life. They become, they become sort of family members in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and there's something, there's something um, in Congress about putting movie stars on TV, right? Mm-hmm. About putting movies on TV and, and about the whole idea of an Oscar telecast, which is, I think, why it's funny um, that there's this very crass announcement of uh you know the deal to extend abc's exclusive uh, broadcast rights to the Oscars through 2020 right um, it 's crass, and the idea the idea of movies is that they 're ennobling and that they 're not crass. TV is crass yeah. TV is the land of the biggest loser and the celebrity apprentice and yeah
2: and gilligan 's Island and Gilligan's Island <laughs> to, to, to try to recognize that this is not something that 's a new phenomenon. TV has been crass for a very long time
0: absolutely and yeah you know, you know what I mean and, and movies are the land uh, of well I mean gilligan
2: 's Island the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which right. is awesome, and I wish I could. No, in TV you get Gilligan's Island. In the movies you get Castaway. Like in, in TV, if the protagonist talks to a volleyball, it's a gag with a laugh track. In a movie, it's like a borderline Oscar nomination. Right.
0: Well, so, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's heart wrenching, right?
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: To the damn volleyball.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I see what you're talking about. Can I, can I jump in? Is that okay? Please. Yeah, well, okay, no, I so, wanted
0: to throw this to you guys to see what you thought of it.
2: So, so, okay, so the best part of the red carpet for me was when they were interviewing Scarlett Johansson, right? This lady who was awful was interviewing Scarlett Johansson, and she's like, oh, Scarlett, the gown, the hair, the makeup, so much went into today. What was the hardest thing for you to decide today? and she said uh, what to eat before i came and she and they said oh well, well what did you eat i had a piece of salmon Okay, let, let's break this down a little oh, bit. Please. <laughs> because, okay, so the, the Oscar red carpet is, like, ruthlessly formal. It's, like, the most formal thing that happens in the broader culture. It's all about selling, like, $10,000 gowns to people and selling, like, $500 handbags to people based on the $10,000 gowns in their cachet. Like, we're talking about, like, the breadbasket of high couture, right, is, is what's going on right here. Think about the role of formal dress and then the history of formal dress, right? Like, formal dress is... You're royalty, and you're the only person who can have an outfit like this. And you have a, a per, you have employ a person to make this outfit for you, which nobody else in your lord in your in your fiefdom can afford to do. And by producing this outfit for yourself, you are signifying your authority over everybody. Because of this, you're distinguishing yourself from other people, and you're setting yourself up as sort of a rarefied kind of person. Then the industrial revolution comes along, and people get the opportunity to get these kind of garments for everybody. Because of this, in the Victorian ideal, everybody wants to be a Rarified person. Everybody wants to have this aspect of formality that's generally associated with the nobility, right? Everybody aspires to be sort of like a proper person. And then, then we see things get gradually more casual. Uh, the big sort of critique, I think, is, is the Yates, like, love has pitched his palace in the place of excrement, right? Which is like, hey, you know, the same part of you that aspires to love is right next to the part of you that poops. Get over yourself, right? Uh, where it's like we're all animals. We have these bodily functions that happen. So here you have a situation where Scarlett Johansson is wearing a ridiculous outfit that's being presented as this thing that's supposed to rarify her and glorify her. We know that this is BS, that she's doing this, we know that it's not really real, but at the same time, when she says, like, I ate a fish for dinner, like, you go through, well, she's going to eat it, she's going to digest it and poop it. It kind of makes the whole aspect of her wearing a formal gown seem, like, really dumb and
0: irrelevant, right? Like, like that's you know what, what it does for me. You know what you're doing, Pete? You're what? Doing, what am I doing? You're doing a bit from the fourth act of Hamlet. Right. <laughs> yeah, where Hamlet – where Claudius finally finds Hamlet after he's killed yeah. Polonius. He drags him in to be interrogated and uh, he said – and Hamlet says to Claudius right to his face, your worm is your only emperor for diet. We fat all creatures else to fat ourselves and we fat ourselves for maggots. You know, a worm yeah, – yeah. a, uh, a fish may eat of the worm that has fed of a king – And uh, a beggar can eat the fish that is fed of that worm. And this shows how the, a king may go a progress through the guts of a beggar. Right. That, and the thing that Hamlet, uh, that's true of Hamlet, that is also true of you, Pete, is that (laughs) you.
2: (laughs) Rakishly handsome. The drinks that drinks a, drinks a lot of diet root beer.
0: The three the things, three things. <laughs> that are true of Hamlet that are also true of you, Pete, are a rakishly handsome, b Thank you. drinks a lot of root <laughs> beer, and uh, and c is a uh, is a sort of subverter of piety. You know, sees through. Um, sees through systems. I mean, you know what I mean? This the sort of sees the arbitrary quality, the structurality, as Derrida would say, of uh, certain social constructions of power, right? Yeah.
2: And what I would say, what I would venture is that like I'm willing for an afternoon to put that aside or at least to like not really damn the people who are doing it, like, for an evening. So if you want to do the Oscars and have everybody wear a fancy outfit and pretend they're better than everybody else, it's the Oscars. It's a, you know, I'll eat some chocolate. It'll be fine. Um... But I feel like when the uh, the sort of Hollywood, when the you know the paparazzi and the people associated with the paparazzi are kind of obsessing about the celebrity culture, you know we degrade our celebrities now tremendously. And uh, this was a situation where the celebrities didn't really need to be degraded because they were all in formal wear, and it's really awkward to have somebody in formal wear and like degrade them, right? So I feel like we all needed to be on board with kind of like treating them as if they were in formal outfits. But then we've realized that like our celebrities. Celebrity, our culture of celebrity is like so thoroughly enmeshed in this like culture of degradation and like just sort of putrefaction and all this sort of like awful, like, you know, like I'm, I'm thinking of like I love New York pooping on the floor, you know, like I'm thinking of like that sort of stuff um that's what's happening on these channels where these people are talking about these celebrities all the time i don't think that you can really wash that off when you step onto a red carpet you know i don't think that you can talk to scarlett johansson about what she just ate and what she's likely to poop in the future you know although i'm <laughs> second part. like and still really going and p- say certain right <laughs> <not my> it's <laughs> certain yes and, and still give a crap about her formal gown like if you wanna talk about her formal gown, treat her with a little bit of respect. And treat treat it treat her with like that kind of rarefied air that formal gowns are designed to provoke and embrace. Otherwise, why are you not selling me a formal gown? I'm not gonna spend ten thousand dollars for a pair of pants that all I'm gonna do is pull around my ankles when I'm sitting on the John. You know, like I want a pair of pants that make me feel like the freaking king of England. Right, and that's why Colin Firth is like a boss, and everybody else on there is singing his tune, right? So like he's the one who convinces everybody that he's not going to go poop after he leaves the stage. <laughs>
0: no, <laughs> we know that he's going to he's going to indulge his impulse to dance. <laughs> well, that's what he said. <laughs> all right. Well, I think well, all three of us. I'll, real quick. Yeah, real,
1: real quick. First of all. Um, on this note, I want to propose for next year's Overthinking uh, Oscar podcast that we have a contest for the best actor on the red carpet who makes it seem that they're genuinely pleased to be talking to one of the idiotic hosts. Because <laughs> awesome. I felt like there was not nobody was good at it this time. Kevin Spacey was just a portrait of absolute like disgust. Throughout yeah. the, his interviews. Um, so I'm going to put that in the, in the hamper for next year. But also Pete was talking about sort of like you know the, the, the fact that, that we've set these people up as being above everybody else. And to me sort of the disappointing thing about this Osc- the, the Oscar ceremony, the single most disappointing moment was Aaron Sorkin's speech. 'Cause um as as longtime listeners know, Matt and I sort of worship Aaron Sorkin as one of the great writers of our generation
0: and quote chapter and verse from large swaths of the, the West Wing anyway.
1: True, true. Um but right now, like I don't for those who are paying attention to the news, like the right of people to unionize has been is under as much attack as it's been in the last fifty years. And there are like people camped out in the capital of Wisconsin trying to prevent it. It's it's pretty huge deal if you care about things like weekends and every single person on stage and in that room is a member of a union and not once was it mentioned not even by aaron sorkin the guy who gave us the west wing and like to me and and for for the people that high up to not even sort of mention it and to mention the fact that like being in a union has benefited all of them at one point or another to me was sort of the tragedy of the night
0: Yeah, Mm. absolutely Uh, You know, and in a night that included What? There were all kinds of sort of liberal Liberal propaganda in the night, right? Like the um, uh, The Barack Obama cameo
2: Which was like the He's the freaking president of the United States And he's like the sixth person in that sequence And he's just totally thrown away and nobody even cares Uh.
0: Even noted lefty Alec Baldwin Right?
2: (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough
0: yeah, even that you tweeted yeah. about that about the sort of the no mention of, of uh, Wisconsin, right? Mm, mm, mm.
2: The
1: only mention of unions at all was Wally Pfister, the cinematographer for Inception, mentioned his union crew as being a good thing, and to me it was <laughs> just like that was that was a that was a pretty low bar uh, that the Oscars failed to clear. Yeah. So now that i brought us down.
0: <laughs> now that we're in the place of sort of putrefaction uh, and degradation, uh, let's leave it there. The old rag
2: and bone shop of the heart. <laughs> uh, the place where all the ladders
0: start is the Overthinking It podcast. Uh, well, we'll leave it there. Um, rate us on iTunes. That's the thing that you can do that will help us most at this point. Check out the overview uh, in the uh, Overthinking It store at com slash store. And um, – and uh, also, if you would like to email us, uh, probably don't. But but if you can't be, if you can't
2: be <laughs> <dissuaded>, <laughs> what are you talking <laughs> about? Email us, if, call if, us. If you
0: can't be dissuaded, it's uh, podcastatoverthinking dot com. Uh, the phone number that you can call or text is two zero three two eight five six four zero one. And real soon now, we promise we will uh, like Lucy with the football. Uh, we promise that we will um, do a uh, do a listener feedback show real soon now. But you can join the conversation about this episode on uh, uh, on the. Uh, show notes on the site for this episode There's also an Oscar open thread Already live on the site as we record this uh, That you can, um, you can Hop on if you want uh, Check out the overview uh, Starship Troopers, our alternative commentary uh, For a couple bucks you can uh, Both support the site and get some great Entertainment and,
1: Everyone uh, listens to the overview. No one
2: quits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you, pirate- you fall behind, I'll shoot you
0: myself. Yeah, That's for If you pirate sure. the episode, I'll shoot you myself. <laughs> right. And we will see you next week. Until then, you can find us on the internet at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. <laughs> it, it probably, probably- hey, doesn't
2: deserve. A- you know, I'm really looking forward to watching Academy Award winning film, The Wolfman, for, <laughs> for its makeup and excellent making up of Wolfman. It's going to be really solid.
1: It may be the first Oscar film to win right after being pronounced gross. <laughs>